We're in a series titled Flip the Script. To flip the script is to reverse the expected, the usual, or the existing position in a situation, to do something unexpected or revolutionary. God wants to flip the script in our lives. Apart from God, we are writing scripts for our lives that are not as good as the one he wants to write for us. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. God wants us to write a script with him at the center, and it will be better. So in this series, we're looking at nine ways that God wants to flip the script in our lives. If you miss any of the earlier sermons, you can catch up online at clearwater.church. You can download the Clearwater Church app, take the sermon with you on the go, and if you're motivated by fill in the blanks, we have some in the bulletin for you. So this is a nine-week series. In the first week, Pastor James talked about how God wants to take us from being aliens without God in the world to being citizens of heaven with God near and us adopted into his family. What a flip of our scripts to go far from God and become near to God. Last week, we talked about how God wants to Move us from a place where our souls are unsatisfied, we are thirsty, and at best only get temporary satisfaction to a place where our souls are fully satisfied, permanently satisfied in God. And this week, God wants to, uh, is encouraging us to move from a relationship where we have, we're trying to earn God's favor into a place where we just receive God's grace in Jesus Christ. He wants to move us from a transactional-based relationship where our hearts are actually proud and hardened toward God. We relate to him like a shopkeeper where we're earning what he gives us to a place where we receive from God, a grace-based relationship where we come open-handed and receive from God mercy and grace and love in Jesus Christ. And this softens our hearts and, res- and uh, results in us uh, worshiping him in abundance. And so we're going to get at this in the story of Jesus and uh, a woman who receives his grace. And that's found in Luke chapter 7. So turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now halfway through the story, Jesus gives us the name of this Pharisee. His name is Simon, but uh, the gospel writer, Luke, doesn't tell us it's Simon until halfway through the story. Why is that? Because... What's important is that Simon is a Pharisee, and there's something about Pharisees, what, and Pharisees have a, they relate to God in a particular way. They relate to him with a Pharisaical spirit, which is essentially a spirit that says, I'm fine the way I am. I don't need to repent in order to be right with God. I'm a rule keeper. I'm a religious person. I'm good enough. I don't need to repent. I'm fine 
just the way I am with God. And uh, we know that that's what Luke has in mind because just a few verses earlier, that's how Jesus has described Pharisees. He's been talking about John the Baptist and how John uh, came to prepare the way for the Messiah and John came preaching, repent, and get baptized so that you can be ready to receive God's great salvation in the Messiah. And the, the common people, even the tax collectors, the, the sinful types, uh, they, they agreed and they obeyed and they said, yeah, we agree. We need to get repent of our sins and we need to be baptized in order to be ready to receive God's salvation. And so they did get baptized. They responded to John's preaching. But the Pharisees did not, because the Pharisees thought to themselves, we're good enough as we are. We don't need to repent. Yeah, other people need to repent, but we don't. We're fine because we're the religious people. We're the good people. We're the rule keepers. We're the ones who go to temple. We're the ones who study the Torah. We're the ones who tithe. We're the ones who eat kosher. We're the ones who... Uh, keep all of the religious holidays like the Sabbath. So we don't need to repent. We read this in Luke chapter 7, verse 29. Luke writes, When all the people heard this, the preaching of John the Baptist, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. What does it mean to declare God just? It means we they agreed with God that they needed to repent in order to be ready to receive the Messiah. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, those are often called scribes, they're religious legal scholars, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized with John, by John. So they're the ones who said, nope, we don't need to repent in order to be prepared to receive the Messiah. We're fine just the way we are. So it's, it's one of these kind of people, uh, a Pharisee who invites Jesus to come eat with him. And Jesus knows full well what's in his heart, uh, and yet Jesus agrees to eat with him. Why? Well, because Jesus wants everyone to have a shot at the gospel. And even though his heart is currently uh, hard toward God and his thinking is wrong, Jesus wants to instruct him in the right way. And so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Uh, they, at this time, they often ate lying down. Verse 37, And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house. Now, why does Luke... Uh, refer to her as a sinner. Was she the only sinner in the house? Not according to the Bible. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The only non-sinner in the house was Jesus, the righteous one, the Son of God. Everyone else was a sinner. So why does Luke point out her sin? Well, because her sin was public knowledge. She was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Everybody knew who she was and everybody knew of her sin. She was a notorious sinner, a public sinner. Everybody else in the room was also a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. 
but often our sins are private, known only to God and us. But not her sin. Her sin is public. And that's all that Luke is saying. When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, and how did she discover that? Well, because she'd been asking, where's Jesus? I'm looking for Jesus. Can you tell me where Jesus is? When you seek God, you find him because he wants to be found. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Alabaster is a soft stone, and uh, often it was uh, fashioned into flasks to hold things like perfumes and ointments, and uh, which indicates usually what's being contained in an alabaster flask is pretty expensive stuff. Why is she bringing it with her to, to find Jesus? Because she intends to honor Jesus with it. So this tells us something about the the attitude of this sinful woman. She is looking for Jesus. She wants to honor Jesus. And you got to ask why. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet him, wet his feet with her tears. She's weeping. She's not sniffling. It's not a tear falls every once in a while. She is weeping. Her body is, is being uh, shaking with her sobbing. The, the tears are falling down her face and off her chin. So much, so many of them are falling that Jesus's feet are getting wet. And then she must have bent down, knelt down at his feet because she begins to wipe the tears from his feet with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed his feet with the ointment. Let me ask you, where do you think the tears come from? What do the tears represent? They certainly represent repentance, don't they? She knows she's a sinner. She's aware of her sin. She knows even more than everybody in the room knows about her sin. And so these are certainly tears of repentance. God, forgive me. I have sinned against you and you only. But they're more than tears of repentance. They're also tears of faith and tears of gratitude and tears of joy. Gratitude that God is willing to forgive her. Faith, God is forgiving me through his son Jesus and his sacrificial death upon the cross. And joy, I can be reconciled to God. I have been reconciled to God. I have been forgiven. I have been washed clean. My sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. They are remembered no more. Praise God. And these are tears of salvation. This woman has been saved by the Son of God, by the salvation that God sent forth in Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't know how we can read this without asking ourselves, have I cried tears of repentance and faith and gratitude and joy for my salvation in Jesus Christ? If you have not 
been moved to tears by your sin that has offended God and separated you from God and hurt other people and hurt yourself, I wonder, have you really repented? If you have not cried, thank you, God, thank you, Jesus, I am so thank you, thankful that you were obedient to the Father even to the point of death, I have to wonder, have you really embraced his salvation? I can't say it for sure, but I, I just don't understand how we can become Christians and not be moved emotionally deep down at a heartfelt level. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, he doesn't say this out loud, he says it to himself, he's, he's having an internal dialogue. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, I do not believe Simon invited Jesus to his house in order to learn from Jesus or in order to honor Jesus. I believe he invited Jesus to his house in order to judge Jesus, in order to decide for himself, is this, in fact, a man of God or not? And now he thinks he has the answer. This guy can't be a prophet. He can't be a man of God. Because God runs from sinners. This is Simon's thinking. God only wants to hang out with the good people, the righteous people, the religious people like myself. Of course, God would want to uh, hang out with me. Of course, a prophet would be happy eating my food and hanging out in my house because I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a religious person. I'm fine. But she's a sinner. And God recoils from the touch of sinners. That's Simon's view of God, and oh, how much he misunderstands the heart of God, how far he is from the heart of God. Jesus knows full well who this woman is. He knows what kind of a woman she is. And yet here's a reality about Jesus. Jesus never recoils from the sinner who, who reaches out to him for healing. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, for how far or for how long you have run from God. The moment you come to your senses and you turn to Jesus Christ for healing, he receives you. A broken and a contrite spirit I will no wise cast out, God says. Jesus does not recoil from the sinner who reaches out to him for healing. You see... Her sin is not soiling Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is cleansing her of her sins. Simon doesn't get it. Simon doesn't understand the economy of God or the heart of God. And so Jesus decides he's going to teach him. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I think is Jesus saying, I'm, I'm, I need to school you, Simon. I need to challenge your, your attitude. I need to teach you something about the real God. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. I hear in that an arrogance, a pride. Go ahead, 
I'm not afraid of anything you can say to me. Verse 41, Jesus tells him a parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So one guy owes 10 times as much as the other guy, but neither of them can repay their debt. And that's the important point. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. I like that, I suppose. To me, that Simon saying, I don't want to enter into your school. I don't think I need to learn anything. But if you're going to force me into this little exercise, if I have to choose, okay, I suppose it's the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to Simon, you have judged rightly. I love that. Simon has invited Jesus to his house in order to judge Jesus. But in reality, it's the Son of God. It is the Messiah who judges Simon. And in this case, Simon, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. Now that's important. That movement is important. Don't, don't miss that. Jesus is turning his, away from Simon and he, be, he turns towards the woman. He's looking the woman in the eyes now. And why is that? Because what he's about to say is as much for the woman as, as, as it is for Simon. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Simon, of course, is thinking, Yeah, I see the woman. I know who she is. I know what kind of a woman she is. She's a sinful woman. The problem is you don't see her. If you knew who she would, was, you would recoil from her. But Simon, Simon is seeing her for what she was, not for who she is. He sees her for who she was, what she used to do and be, a sinner. And Jesus sees her for who she is, a saint, forgiven of her sins, engaged in beautiful worship of God. Simon does not see the woman the way God sees her. I entered your house, Simon, you gave me no water for my feet. Which you should have done. It's basic common courtesy. You know, I've been traveling through dusty roads with sandals. It's common courtesy when somebody comes to your house that you give them some water to wash their feet off with if you don't, even, if you don't wash them yourself. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, Simon, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. She's been doing for me what you have failed to do for me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Now other translations uh, make it clear that she's not forgiven because she loved much. She loves much because she was forgiven. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, the reality is nobody is forgiven a little because there are no little sinners. We are all great sinners. And so if you have been forgiven, you have been, been forgiven much. 
and thus you should love much. But the problem is, see, Simon doesn't think he is a sinner needing forgiven. He thinks he's fine with God because he views himself as a righteous person. I'm a religious person. I keep the rules. I'm a good man. I don't need to repent of my sins in order to receive God's salvation. I don't need to be forgiven. And so what does it produce? It produces in him a hardness of heart toward God. You cannot love God when you relate to him like a shopkeeper where you pay for what you get. Josh Adams, our worship leader, he's got lots of guitars, but he was talking to me this week about two of his guitars. One of them he led worship uh, with today. Uh, and it, that's a guitar that he bought at Guitar Center, and he brought in his uh, cash, and he handed his cash over and, and was given the guitar. And he likes the guitar. It's a great guitar. Uh, he appreciates the guitar, but he could not tell me who in the world it was who gave him the guitar. Like, who was the clerk? I don't know. Can't remember who, who sold him the guitar. And that's because it was a transactional uh, exchange. Joshua paid for the guitar. He likes the guitar, couldn't care less who, who gave it to him, from whom he bought it. Now, he has another guitar, this one here. This guitar was a gift. And notice, this guitar has uh, uh, an, an etching. So, um, the guy who owned the guitar, he engraved it, you know, burned this really nice image into the front of the guitar, uh, that person took the guitar all through China, and but but said, you know what, Josh, I want you to have this guitar. It's yours, free of charge. I just give it to you. Now Josh says it's a good guitar. He likes the guitar, but he's much more impressed with the man who gave him the guitar. And that's the way it is with God. See, God gives us our salvation as a gift. And we, we, we're really, we love the, the, uh, the salvation. We really appreciate the salvation, but we love the God who gave it to us. No one ever fell in love with the shopkeeper God. See, Simon's trying to relate to God like a shopkeeper. Yeah, God, you have good gifts. I recognize your power and your sovereignty and that salvation comes from you and I want it but I'm going to earn it. Now, you don't fall in love with that kind of a God, but yet if you relate to God the way that this sinful woman did, she came to God saying, I can't atone for my sins on my own. I can't be good enough to warrant your love, O God. I come to you humbly with my, my hands open, with nothing to give, but I receive from you the gift of your son, Jesus. I receive the offer of, of forgiveness through his death upon the cross. I, for, I receive his righteousness. I receive, I receive, I come with nothing and I leave full. And what does that do to her heart? Her heart, she loves God because she says, God has poured out in my life unmerited favor. And she relates to God based on grace. I come to him with nothing, and he pours out upon me his mercy 
and his favor and his help and his healing and his kindness and his generosity. I come with nothing and I leave full. Listen, this series is called Flip the Script. God wants to flip the script in Simon's life. Simon, you're trying to relate to me like a shopkeeper, God. You're in a transactional relationship with me where you think you can be good enough to earn what I have to offer. You can't be. You can't pay your debt. You can never be good enough. Become like this woman. Let go of your pretended goodness. Come empty-handed. Come humbly. Come with a repentant heart, and then receive from me my undeserved favor in Jesus Christ, my son. Walk away full. If you will relate to me based on grace, you will receive what you're looking for, and you will, you will end up loving me. And that's the kind of relationship God wants with us. And that's why he, he does not allow us to earn our salvation. Well, we can't. He wants us to come to him humbly and open-handed and receive the gift of his son Jesus and his salvation. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Verse 48. Now Jesus has been looking at the woman. He's been talking to Simon, but he's looking at her because she's talking just as much to her. And he says, you know, notice this, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I love the fact that he doesn't minimize her sins. He doesn't say, you know what, you didn't, your sins, you're overblowing it. You weren't really as bad as you think you were and everybody else thinks you are. I know you got a bad rap. No, he, he doesn't. He calls it for what it is. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. I know all of your sin, even the ones you've never told anyone, even the ones that when they come to mind, they bring you shame and they hurt to even think about them. I know that. But they are forgiven. You are forgiven. Jesus does not forgive some sins. He forgives all of our sins. When Jesus gets around to forgiving sins, he never forgives just some of them. He forgives all of them. And it's just absurd as a Christian to think, boy, uh, most of my sins have been forgiven but I need to just grieve that one a little bit longer. I need to say I'm sorry a few more times for, for, for that sin before it can be forgiven. He doesn't forgive your sins because you are good enough. He forgives your sins because he is merciful. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this? that even forgives sins. I thought only God forgave sins. Ding, ding, ding. Who is Jesus? Christians are Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three persons. There is one God. That's the mystery of the Trinity. Jesus is God himself. It is God who is 
looking this woman in the eyes and saying, your sins are many, but they're forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not your good works have saved you. Not your rule keeping has saved you. Not your religiosity has saved you. It's your faith in my son Jesus that has saved you. Go in peace. And and that's what God always wants for us. Peace. Peace that comes from knowing that we are reconciled to God, that our sins are forgiven, that we are indwelt with the Spirit of God, that He will neither leave us nor forsake us, that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus, and that when we die, the same Spirit that brought Christ back from the dead will bring us to life, and we will dwell forever and ever with God in heaven. Our future is always better than our past. We are filled with hope, and that brings us peace. Peace in every situation, no matter what we're going through in this life. God is with us. Are you relating to God based on a transaction? I'm going to be so good that God's going to save me, help me, be my friend. Blech. God invites you into a better script. He wants to flip the script in your life. He wants you to relate to him based on grace where we come open-handed to God humbly and walk away full because God is good. And when we experience God's grace, we can't help but fall in love with him and worship him in a way that truly honors him. Will you make that switch in your own life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. Lord, we don't want to make Simon's mistake. We look at this this woman who received your mercy and grace, and we step into that. We come to you open-handed, and we receive your great salvation in Jesus. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.